five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Fifteen minutes of flame, the hottest podcast on the internet. That was uh, Jay Giles. Must have got lost. I think what got lost ultimately was um, Jay Giles' connection to the canon of uh, rock music. Personally, I think they're one of the one of the best American rock bands. I think when you when I have my list of best American rock bands, now we're talking American. I don't consider Fleetwood Mac an American rock band, and it's because half the band is English, and I know they lived in L.A. and made a lot of uh, dealers in L.A. rich by snorting a shit ton of coke. So their contribution to American society should be noted. But even if they were considered an American rock band, I don't have Fleetwood Mac in my top 10. And it's a personal bias. I'm not a huge fan of post-Bob Welch Fleetwood Mac. I think the first record is interesting amidst the uh, scandal and the rumors of breakups and affairs within the band. The power struggle between Lindsey Buckingham and Mick Fleetwood, the young blood, the old stallion, clashing over the witchy magic. Well, it's kind of compelling. The witchy magic of Stevie Nicks. I need to complete that thought. Uh, Kind of compelling. That's kind of a backdrop. But you see, does rumors really work if you don't know the backstory? I mean, that's what kind of makes that album is knowing that everybody's fucking everybody else in the band and and Mick Fleetwood knows that if Fleetwood Mac is going to be successful, that Lindsey Buckingham is going to be a big part of it, right? Like he's going to have to cede some of the control of the group to this young guy who's very talented a very underrated guitar player, a great vocalist, brings in Stevie Nicks, right? So he's got this weird sort of love-hate relationship with Lindsey Buckingham, and then he winds up banging Stevie Nicks in the process. 
Stevie Nicks is really tiny. I think she's like five foot one. She's really small. And Mick Fleetwood, I think is like six, five. He's a tall dude. Like, you know, it can work anatomically in certain positions. You know what I'm saying? But that's a pretty drastic disparity in in height. Anyway, I I wouldn't consider Fluid Mac one of my top, because everything after rumors is, it's like, eh. Like Larry David, eh. Eh. All right. It's hard for me to pick 10. In no particular order, these are my top 10 American rock bands. In no particular order. These are not artists. And then I've got a few just outside of my top 10 that are criminally, like, kind of hanging off the list. And I would say... Kind of near the top would be the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys change music. They completely change music. The Beatles looked at the Beach Boys and said, we have to be better than this group. That's how much the Beach Boys change music. And that was was even uh, pre-Pet Sounds. But then you get into Pet Sounds, and it's a whole different ballgame. And really, they... They peak around 1974. I really like the Holland album. Um, you know, that's where they have Sail on Sail. I think that's probably one of their last best albums. And after 74, 75, uh, they start to die, and, and the band kind of just becomes a redundant caricature touring band version of itself. So you got to have the Beach Boys in that conversation. Uh, you have to have the Terry Kath era of Chicago in the conversation. An incredible band. Really incredible band. The vocal harmonies. Uh, Terry Kath is one of the guitarists that Jimi Hendrix actually looked up to. You go back and listen to some of those Terry Kath licks, 25 or 6 to 4. Oh, my God. Sick. And he could sing. That was a... Robert Lamb, uh, Peter Cetera, and Terry Kath, those three guys on vocals, incredible. Horn section was really good. Uh, the drummer was was mostly good most of the time until he got older and just stopped giving a fuck. Um, so you got to have, they're in, they're in the discussion. So we've got the Beach Boys, Terry Kath era Chicago. Post-Terry Kath era Chicago, no. Sorry, David Foster, you ruined the group. Peter Cetera, you you became a tyrant. The other guys just stood buying it. Okay, we're making a shit ton of money. Let's just keep doing these uh, soft rock records. And they were successful, but they weren't the same. All right. Now, this next band, kind of, I have mixed feelings about the next band. Because they start off, just like badass motherfuckers and it's Aerosmith and the first four Aerosmith records, you, you know, up through toys in the attic, uh, rocks. I mean, those, 
those guys were amazing and they were badass they were badass hard-ass american rock and then they go into the drug decline and then they come back and they're like incredible robust and they have diane warren writing fucking hit songs for them right so you got just just based on longevity and how they were able to bridge these two kind of major periods of their career, they're, they're in the discussion. So we've got Chicago, Terry Kath, uh, pre-1974 Beach Boys. Um, I think we have, who else? Oh, Aerosmith. Um, then, you know, then, then, then the names start to change around a little bit and it starts to get a little little tricky. Like, I think Creedence Clearwater Revival should be somewhere in the list, whether they're in the top 10 or not. I mean, for about, what, three albums, four albums? Those guys were amazing. And they were cranking out this really interesting, you know, blues-based kind of swamp boogie rock. They were from Central California. They had this whole psychedelic scene going on just miles away, and they had nothing to do with it. Right, they were like on their own path and a really fucking good band. CCR is somewhere in that mix. I don't know where they fall ultimately. Um, the band we just listened to, Jay Giles, I think criminally underrated. Peter Wolf, a great front man. It's almost like he's virgin on fucking rap at the beginning of that song when he's going through his little repute, repute, you know, Rapunzel repute thing. Love, you got to use it, abuse it. I mean, I mean, he's almost in hip hop. Like, dude, just put that into the song, and you're you're like spitting rhymes. But they were a great band, and they stayed together for a long time. Like the band itself was intact for a very long time, the entirety of the band. And what's what's also interesting about the band, like when you listen to Jay Giles' band. You don't really think of, oh, what a great solo, great guitar solo this song has. Like, like there's there aren't really very memorable guitar solos. And the and the band is named after the fucking guitar player. And you would think, hey, I need to really shred my axe here every now and then. It doesn't really happen in Jay Giles. It's part of an ensemble. And that's what that's what's incredible about that band. Yesterday's band, Blue Oyster Cult, I think you gotta have. A conversation about Blue Oyster Cult. They're these are rock bands, not just there are like we can talk about Parliament and Funkadelic and, and and they're in the discussion, but not necessarily in this discussion. And I got into it with, with a guy on Twitter about how I didn't see Funkadelic or Parliament, mostly Funkadelic, as a rock band. And you could make a case that they are a rock band, but and I've seen like critical papers and reviews people take this shit seriously and they often compare funkadelic to the grateful dead like it's sort of the you know the the motor city psychedelic version of the grateful dead and i'm not a big grateful dead fan that doesn't mean that i don't like funkadelic they're kind of incredible but uh they're not in the discussion at least not here blue oyster cult played him yesterday across the 70s the 80s and the 90s just 
incredibly strong output of material. So I think they're in the discussion. You got to have Blue Oyster Cult. Again, another band that has a great beginning, um, a weird little middle, and then the end it gets even better is Van Halen. And I'll be I'll, I'm on the record. I've never owned a Van Halen record or CD. I'll tell you why. I just had to go to my fucking friend's house. It was on all the time. At least the first Van Halen was. We used to listen to it as it, 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 uh, to it, uh, listen to it in his car. And I thought this shit's great. I love the first Van Halen record. The second Van Halen record, I really like. And then they get into like a weird little period in the center. And then Dave splits. Sammy comes on, and they're great again. They're a different band, but they're great. And so you got to have Van Halen in that discussion. I don't know what I'm up to, but these are the bands that I think are really important American bands. And there are bands I leave out of the discussion. I don't like the Eagles. And I know how many people like the Eagles and they have all these iconic songs like Hotel California. I've just never been into, I, I, I've never been into them. And then when I found out what a real dick uh, Don Henley is, it made it even easier to, to drop the cause. Then there are other bands like I think Cheap Trick is a great American rock band. Are they up in the top ten? They're in the discussion. I think they're they're very underrated, and they're in the. I think Santana is a great American rock band, very underrated, and again, just hits. They 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 do something nobody else has ever done. This this Latin rock fusion thing that was just light years ahead of everybody else incredible stuff and then they morph they become different bands along the way and you know most of the iterations of that band are are they're interesting right they go into kind of a more fusiony place and uh santana hangs out with john mclaughlin he he finds um shri chinmoy and you know the whole intermounting flame kind of spiritual experience and then then they do kind of a yacht version of santana and then uh then eventually they come around with the matchbox 20 shit which i'm not really that into but you can't deny their greatness that is a great american rock band um steely dan's in the discussion but they're different they're like they have a place that's all their own because they're not really rock i mean they go through a rock phase but then they do kind of the jazz fusion rock thing, which is a little bit different, but they're singular. There's there's no other group like Steely Dan, period. End of story. And, you know, I guess you could throw in some other groups like uh, Grand Funk Railroad, which who I've never been a huge fan of, but they're kind of important in the history of, of American music and uh, cultivating sort of this hard, I think Leonard Skinner, you got to have Leonard Skinner in the discussion. Not a big sample of albums, what, five maybe, plus the live record. But you go back and you listen to their music, and there are two things you'll find out about Leonard Skinner when you listen to their music. Number one, the albums are immaculately produced. They sound incredible. And number two, like, they hardly have a stinker song in their entire catalog. Like they may have one or two or three that are maybe not as good as the rest of the catalog, but boy, are they strong. From start to finish, Leonard Skinner's brief output 
Leonard Skinner is like the Terrell Davis of music. Terrell Davis got into the Hall of Fame by playing with five seasons in the NFL or something like that. Kind of ridiculous, but Terrell Davis is the Leonard Skinner of the NFL, but he didn't die in a plane crash. Um, Who else? I think ZZ Top is another American band that is great. They're they're like a great fucking band, and they span decades. They have longevity, the catalog, they have the chops. I'll tell you a band that I struggle with a little bit, and I, I really want to include them in this mix, and that's the Allman Brothers. I love the Allman Brothers. But after Dwayne Allman dies, Dickie Betts takes over, I dig the Brothers and Sisters record, and then they start to really dilute their catalog. And then Greg Allman moves to fucking Southern California, Mary Cher, and they're doing a record together. And that's it. It's kind of the end of the band. They have a bit of a comeback when the whole jam band thing kicks back up again. But for about four records, the Allman Brothers are amazing. And they do something unlike any other American band has ever done. They combine blues and rock um, and jazz uh, and country in a way that no other group had ever done. So I think they're in the discussion. The only problem is just how the, the catalog and the quality just drops off after about album five. Um, anyway, so I'm sure there are other bands. I mean, I could sit here and talk about this forever. And everybody has their favorites. Like, I wouldn't put Boston in a great American rock band. No, I wouldn't. One or two good records, one which is kind of iconic, but mm, so what? I'd, I'd, put, I'd put the Velvet Underground also way up there. Somebody's trying to call me. Um, I, I would put the Velvet Underground way up there because of their influence. And not everybody likes the Velvet Underground. I like the Velvet Underground. The Banana record is great. Anyway, there you go. A little bit of uh, music rant this morning. And Jay Giles. Jay Giles, way, way, way more influential than people give them credit for, in my humble opinion. Oh, Hall & Oates, definitely in the discussion. Great American rock band, without a doubt. I have mad respect for Hall & Oates. Even the the yachty, hitsy stuff. Now, when we get into individual artists, that's a different story. You know, then we're talking about like Dr. John and Todd Rundgren. You know, the individual guys, uh, which is, I think, different than bands. All right, let's uh, do a little THS. Uh, let me just tell you, the new wave of gummies, it's just been a, a, a game changer for me because I've been trying to, I talked about this in a chat this morning. Um, before we started the show and I'm, I'm doing everything in my power to kind of recalibrate 
my circadian rhythms because I realized just how um how how tired I've been for a long time. Part of it has to do with the fact that you know this is this is a grind but it's a grind that you love right it's like you're i love i love this grind i love get, getting up every day and planning a show and connecting with people and this is a form of healing uh for me uh it's a form of healing for you at least that's what's been communicated to me over the years so what's not to love about this right it gives me a raison d'etre to get up in the morning and to do this and other things that are associated with what I do. And, you know, two years in when, when I really started to hit this like really hardcore uh, and that was just as COVID was starting to break, you know, I just went all in like, you know, we're going to do this every day except for Saturday. And it's going to be a big part of my life because, you know, you know, this is zero hour. Like we are on, you, you know, we're on, this is why you're here. This moment is why you're here. This moment is why we're here. We're witnessing the changing of an age. And they're, 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 they're drawing an end to an age and they're beginning another one and the one that they're beginning i think we can all formally agree upon is a shit second class version of the model we had just been living it's a degraded model and so you know this th that was my it wasn't my wake-up call because I'd, I'd been awake, awake as i could for a while but that was my call to duty and so I've been doing this very intensely uh, since 20, really the end of 2019. Not only that, but I, I work with two to three people a day on the client side. So there's a whole other like version of my life that extends outside this show. And it also has to get into some administrative stuff and planning. And so it's a lot of work. And, you know, I just, I just realized, I mean, it, and I could feel it like coming up to the event, like I could feel like, okay, there's a crash coming after this event. Like I'm holding everything together so we could have our event and have a successful event in October. And that's exactly what happened after the event. I just started to crash and my body started to crash. Uh, I was feeling like garbage, I had no energy, uh, and, you know, and doing things that were, you know, theoretically replenishing and rejuvenating. But, you know, once you, once you go into an energetic valley, it's hard, you know, or a gully, it's hard to climb back up and out of it. You have to really be, um, intentful when that happens and in human design i'm a projector so i don't have my own energy center whereas generators it's a beautiful system you're like a battery and you 
essentially discharge the battery. You want to work hard all day. And by the end of the day, you need to be tired. And then God bless you generators. You get to get up in the morning after a good night's sleep and mostly feel refreshed. I was talking with uh, uh, the Doomer Boomer, Mishi, last night. And I said, you know, I could probably count on both hands the mornings I've woken up and felt rested in my lifetime. And I'm that's not an over-exaggeration. So when the gummies were gone, I was trying to kludge together my my sleep formula and it just really wasn't working so now the gummies are back and i'm really i'm using them strategically now and i'm and i'm i'm taking them earlier in the night so that i can get to bed by about 10 o'clock 10 o'clock 10 30 which is really an outlier for me so that I can get up, you know, at an earlier time, start the day and rebalance my circadian rhythms. And since the new gummies have come in, it's been really helpful. So you can experience the, the power and the efficacy of the gummies and other uh, CBD products over at truehemscience.com backslash ref backslash 23. And if you go there and order a hundred dollars of their products uh, and type in 15 mins, one five M I N S Chris will throw you some free product, And he's very generous with that. Uh, $150 or more gets free shipping. So if you're listening on the podcast side of things and you're in the continental U S unfortunately shipping overseas is very difficult. Um, and we've, I've had discussions with Chris about that. But if you are in the continental U.S. and you're hearing this via podcast, you know, go to treehemscience.com um, backslash ref, I'm sorry, it's forward slash, I was corrected, forward slash ref, forward slash 23. And um, get the gummies, get them while you can. And also they've got a bunch of other products and um, Mishi, the Doomer Boomer, has been using Pet Sounds. Uh, for her newly adopted beagle seems to be working. You know, the separation anxiety on uh, her, her new pet beagle uh, seems to be subsiding. So there's all kinds of applications here. Okay, let's get into some Chataria. Uh, I think Lisa was going to send me some pictures of... Where are we? What happened to my oh, fuck? It's like where are my links? I had all I had all these links. Uh, that's not it. Okay. I had all these links set up, and now. Uh, where did they go? Where did they go? Here we go. Beautiful. And one of the links is my own website. Uh, let's see if um, Lisa sent me some pictures. Uh, 
on Twitter. She says it's snowing in Wisconsin. Oh, I don't know who this is. Okay, I got to watch this guy's video. All right, let me get back into chat. Sorry. Little, little bit of a mental detour there. Let's see. I've already been in here, but let's get back in here again because there's a lot more people here than, than there were. You know, somebody. I think it was Glenn. He asked me, well, what do you think of the band as a great American band? Well, first of all, most of the band are Canadian. I won't hold that against them. Because there are some good Canadian bands. The only American in the band is Levon Helm. But the band are singular. I mean, they, they had a sound and they did things that were unlike what anybody else was doing in rock and roll at the time they were they were they were amazing but again if you look at their output um probably about four studio records uh two live albums rock of ages and uh, the last supper and then post robbie robertson band is kind of hard at times it's kind of hard i mean some of the, some of the songs are good don't get me wrong um but it's not the same band. Uh, let's see. We got a lot of agreement here on some stuff musically. Deanna, absolutely. I think CCR are criminally underrated. They're 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 iconic. Uh, let's see. Kabuki theaters here. What's going on, Bo? CCR was huge in the seventies, and I lived in the Bay Area. Oh, another band, again, you got to have, throw their name into the discussion, is the Doobie Brothers. The Doobie Brothers, and again, there are great American bands that are not at this level. Don't get me wrong, right? Like, I think X is actually a really great American band, but they're not at the same level as the Doobie Brothers. 70s, 80s, 90s, the Doobie Brothers went through a fucking genre change. And came out okay. You know, so, that's what happens with bands. I mean, there are a lot of bands in the 70s that don't make it to the 80s. Like, they don't know what the fuck to do with a synthesizer that has all these different patches on it now. They're just like, oh, well, let's play with it. I mean, you sound like shit. Put it away. But dude, bro, there's no problem. It's like, okay, long train running, take it to the streets. What a transition. They're in the mix. Uh, let's see. Dolly Parton winning Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Do you know that Dolly Parton's like 4'11 or 5 feet tall? Can you imagine what she must look like in person? It, it, it's like a third, you know, what? A fourth of her extends from her chest. Catherine Kramer's here. What's going on, Catherine? Um. Uh, Anna Sophia. 
Sea Pines, Blue Oyster Cult had an amazing light show before. Blue Oyster Cult was always badass. I mean, come on now. Patty Smith hung out with them. Scrubbies. What's happening, Scrubbies? Good to see you. Sandy Perlman. Sandy Perlman, an interesting character. A lot of, so Sandy Perlman was a collaborator of uh, Blue Oyster Cult and their producer. And he produced other bands. He produced The Clash's second record, which is they, The Clash hated Sandy Perlman. But I will say that The Clash's second record, Give Him Enough Rope, <laughs> is actually better than their first record. And Christopher Knowles, who hung out with Joe Strummer, and wrote a book about the clash actually agreed with me on that. Um, Sandy, I never met him, but he had founder shares in eMusic, which is a company I worked for. But he did fuck up the dictator's second record. Beth Berry's here. What's going on? Think of Feliz. Cheap Trick is awesome. They're incredible. Incredible. Uh, let's see. Sandy Perlman was the inspiration for Watkins Need More Cowbell. Love Santana's way underrated. What's going on, Miss Nakia? You're here right on time. Chris Knowles does deep dive on the BOC. I love Chris. So I'm 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 working on an event for February of 2024 in Tucson and uh, different than kind of what we do here in the Hill Country. And I've got kind of an open conversation and dialogue with, with Chris Knowles about being a part of it. And hopefully he'll be a part of it. I love Chris. I think he's great. Uh, let's see. Brad Johnson did software webinar. Almost forgot about it. Fine-tuning, showing how. Oh, oh, rifing. Okay, who else we have here? Uh, let's see. We're an American band. The reason why it's so great is because Todd Rungren produced it. Early Grand Funk Railroad was really their best music. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. I didn't get the GFR thing. I did get we're an American band. I played that shit over and over again. In fact, I bought the 45 in the, you know, the yellow amber wax. I actually went to the record store and said, I'm buying this because it's such a badass song. And it's Todd Rundgren. Let's see. Loki, 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 Loki. Allman Brothers, I love the Allman Brothers, but, you, you know, once Dwayne died, Dickie Betts comes in, changes the band, a little more country rock, and then Greg goes to fucking Malibu and marries Cher and does a du duet record with her. Guess who? Great band. They're Canadian, but a great band. Underrated. All right, who else do we have? To give Dolly credit, she tried to turn down the invitation. Dickie Betts is great. He's Dickie Betts is love him. 
but I don't know if, if the rest of the band, especially Greg, holds up and holds it together. Um, they're great. There's no other band like the Allman Brothers. You know, no other band. GFR is not in the Rock and Roll. That is kind of a joke. Talking Heads are a great band. I, I'd agree. But they're they're in kind of a different disc. I wouldn't call them necessarily a rock band. They're kind of more experimental, kind of proto new wave. Kansas. Let's see what else we have. Hope you have a healthy base contempt for the Grateful Dead nearby where you grew up. You know the Bohemian Grove creeps I'm talking about. Well, I never liked the Grateful Dead. And it didn't really have anything to do with whatever was going on backstage. I just never liked their music. You know, it was so you and I agree on the grateful. But I, I told the story before. There was this one night when I was, it was one of those beautiful San Francisco summer nights, like rare. Very, very rare. It was probably about 80 degrees, no fog. I'm hanging with my buddies. Um, we're in North Beach. There's this Catholic church in North Beach. And we find this dude standing outside the Catholic church. And he's selling uh, small slips of uh, lysergic acid dithalamate 25. And it's like, this must be our communion. So, of course, we decided to take communion. And we headed up to this rooftop party uh, in North Beach. It was magical, like fucking magical. And this guy puts on a bootleg version of the Grateful Dead. And they're off in one of their jam spaces. And because I was attuned to a certain level of consciousness... I got what they were doing. I understood what the buzz was about, right? But you had to get there in order to get there. And I'm just like, I'm not going to make an effort to get there like that. But in that moment, I understood the Grateful Dead. Uh, let's see. Anyone named Hank Williams is really good. The Cars. I am not a Cars fan. That's just my own little piccadillo. Let's see. Anybody else? What do we got? What do we got? David Burns got a very weird background that connects him into, uh, he's got, I think, Scottish and Canadian kind of intel roots in his back. David Byrne is not really who he seems to be. Let's see. My gummies seem to be lost in the mail. Stay in touch with Chris with that. Kelly B being the mysterious Scorpio, keeping her musical influences to herself. Let's see. What else do we have here? Yeah, well, you know, we're all in it together, aren't we? uh kelly's being very evasive yeah i'm i'm, tr I'm doing my best to, to reset my whole sleep cycle 
Um, obviously, for any who substantially had a bad partner who's absent, there's an in and out circadian rhythm of balls deep introspectiveness that takes a lifetime to withdraw from. Uh, I've gotten off Ambien with the gummies plus a little dash of THC. Fantastic. Good job, Rocky. Good job. Oh, four six generator. Oh, Kelly's got some skills. Look at that. My generator must be broken. Neo the Wise is here. Hi, Neo. So is JMP Love. We got a packed house today. Did I, you know, I did not feel the earthquake in Texas, but apparently people in San Antonio did. West Texas, you know, that's fracking country. And they have earthquakes when uh, they frack around with the environment. Let's see. Aldi, Dr. Andrew Huberman, talks a lot about resetting circadian clocks. Get into the light. Uh, get get light in the eyes early in the morning. Consistent wake and sleep times. Uh, you know, that's good advice. I am working on it. Oh, she DM'd some pics. Okay, where would she DM them to? Uh, hold on. I think maybe on Twitter. Uh, So tell me where you DM them. Where did you send them? Queen Lisa. Let's go to the end. Where did she send them to? Uh, let's see. Uh, the uh, dead was managed by Tavistock CAA social pro. Yeah, I mean, so... They come out of that whole thing. Um, Owsley, who was not only in charge of dosing, he was also a sound engineer. So there was a lot going on there. What's going on, Lyle Coyote? Welcome back, my friends, to the show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. Oh, we got more on the bank man today. There's a food trucker called REO Cheese Wagon. What a great name. It fits the band too. Early REO Speed Wagon rocked. And then they found the ballad. Then they found the ballad. Once they found the ballad. The X were incredible. I was, I was big into X. All right, let me see. Did she tell me where she DM'd them? Uh, yeah, they're into Santa Muerta. DM stands for direct message. Welcome to the 21st century, Maurice. Don't worry. We'll, we'll keep you up to speed. So, Lisa, I'll come back again and try to find where you actually sent them. Because I can't find them in either FB or on my Twitter. 
uh let's see don't let steve crimmy hear you dis oh steve's a grateful dead fan how funny all right uh let's start with this little banger right here you can't make this shit up look at this on 11 30 the new york times was planning to host a live event with Sam Bankman-Fried, Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock, and the U.S. Treasury, Janet Yellen. It's the Secretary of the U.S. Treasury as the main speakers. Can you fucking believe that? Can you believe that? You got a Yellen, Bankman, Fink, and an actor. President Vladimir Vladimir. Can you believe this shit? All right. It's one of those things where four people who just happen to fit a particular profile collide together in time space. There's 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 nothing linking them really, except the fact that they're all there at the same time. The cat is out of the bag. I'm sorry, you can't put the toothpaste back into the truth tube, right? You can't do it. It's out. So when people see that shit now, it's like, oh, hmm, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Should we take note of the pattern here? And do we... Uh, I mean, this is really where we're, we get in the weeds, right? Because there are Jewish people that listen to the show that are in chat right now, and I love them. And if they're, if they're here and they're listening participating there, there's love coming back okay so that's on the table right so the, the this is the hard part is to have difficult discussions about what this represents and to not indemnify indemnify and you know here not put a blanket statement over everybody and and just indemnify like one group right or just point out one part of the group this is a this is a challenging discussion and i don't care how good you get at it so i was talking with steve um a couple of days ago and we're you know we have a guest for friday it's lindsay Sharman, who i really like lindsay from roadways is going to join us on friday and we were talking about eric carlstrom who I've had on the show before. I like him. I think he's smart. He understands things like um, electromagnetic and scalar targeting. Our stories are very similar in that we were both in the same area of California. We were both hit with um, the same technology. We both suffered the same, uh, you know, illness or debilitation as a result. He's a really smart guy. 
and he brings up the JQ and he brings it up and he's got all these quotes from all these rabbis that really indict a particular position. Okay. It's like, when you hear this, it's, 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 it's hard to unhear it. The challenge with having that discussion and how do I say this? Um, there, there's like that's there's like an old version of having that discussion, which is the hammer and the nail. And in that moment, you know, he is the hammer, and this group is the nail, right? And then what happens? It brings up all these visions and I, you know, tropes and all this other stuff, right? So we need to have the discussion but we need to have an articulated next level discussion because a lot of people have tried that version of the discussion and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It hasn't worked for a long time. In fact, what it's done is it's kind of brought us to this place now in a lot of ways where there's all this heightened fear and hyper-protection of speech for certain groups, certain classes, certain countries. But in order to talk about this in, in an intelligent and enlightened way, we need to have a different approach to how this is being talked about. And one of the approaches that I think is really important is that, and I've seen this in the so-called black community, and I've seen this over the last couple of years. And I've watched the, the so-called black community begin to morph to the right. Right? They're like starting to wake up. Like, oh, shit, we're being played. Like, it's finally starting to sink in. Oh, we're being played. And so you have some of the most intelligent and cogent commentators coming from that community. Uh, whether you like her or not, Candace Owens falls into that camp. Jason Whitlock, Delano Squires, Royce White, Shamika Michelle, they're in that camp, and there are many, many others. I like Officer Tatum. I think he's great. I think he's great at what he does. So something changed, right? Something shifted where instead of saying, you know, oh, all those people, just support the left and they're on the, they're on the democratic gravy train and um, they've been profiting off of entitlements since the early sixties. They're never going to change. Well, that's changed. And I clearly remember, you know, going into like 2018, 2019, where there were especially, well, especially 2019 and even parts of 2020, like they would have gun rallies and you would see dudes who were, you know, so-called white and so-called black, part of the same gun rallies. They were there together, right? They had the same thing that bonded them, which was the Second Amendment. And so now black America is having a very different discussion about its identity and really what their culture is about. And they're now starting to reject things that have defined them culturally like hip hop, 
and Planned Parenthood. Like they are starting, this is a big thing going on inside of that world is the rejection of a type of music that promotes and celebrates uh, misogyny and death and murder and drugs, right? That that should not be the, the coda for their culture. And they're beginning to realize this now. And then for people like Kanye and even Jason, who's talked about this, who's on the other side controlling the the money, uh, the signage, signage meaning signing the artists, distribution, touring, all that stuff, right? It's a it's a different group. It's a it's a completely different group. So the reason I'm bringing this up is because that community is having a much more internal gaze upon the role that they play in society in society. And if you and Jason has talked about this, if you were black right now and you had a modicum of political uh ambition and you're intelligent doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman but if you just check boxes liberal con- condemning racism promoting crt just check all those boxes right there would be a place for you. You would have a seat at the table. It'd be easy, easy, easy. All you'd have to do is promote a certain version of the culture. Well, once they went past the sort of the, the Afrocentric version and began to move into LGBTQIA+, that's when this thing started to shift. Right when Black Lives Matter came in, and Patrice Cullors, excuse me, and um, Alicia Rodriguez, and and um, always forget the third one. They're, they were all either bi or lesbians, right? And inside of their manifesto, which was online, was to destroy the American family. Didn't say the white American family or the black American family, or the brown American family, or the yellow American family. It was the American family, period, end of story, right? Nuclear family, we're going to destroy it. And they they were uh, on, on the record as being very pro-LGBTQ+, IA+. And the roots of Black Lives Matter and those three women that started it come out of another group of black female Marxist intellectuals that got together during the 1970s and laid the tracks for all this. Maybe I'll do a show on that one of these days. Um, but this is something that's vital and important, right? They're, they're having, like, I can't tell you how many shows now show up on my YouTube feed, and it's like Black Truthers. Hallelujah. Welcome, welcome, you know, as Morpheus once said, welcome to the real. Welcome to the real. To me, this is a huge development. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up 
is because it took a lot of really hard internal discussions in a particular group and even with themselves to look at how am I promoting something that is completely unhealthy for my culture? How can I do that as a person? Like they had these come to Jesus moments. And, and, and I, again, I've talked about this before that we all have to have these come to Jesus moments. It's like, and it's like, who am I? You know, I'm in an aging white meat suit. Does it define me? No. But I do have certain cultural imprints that are part of me. Can't deny it, at least not in this biological form. And so what have I had to do? What have I had? to? You know what I had to do? I had to watch fucking George Bush and Dick Cheney and Don Rumsfeld as, as those guys were supposed to be at the apex of white Anglo-Saxon Protestant culture because that's what they represented. And I wanted to vomit every time I saw them because I knew what shitbags they were. And I knew how fucking evil they were. Okay. So yeah, yeah, you know, could it, and this is, a, this is an interesting point, which I never really got. I mean, if I had wanted to, if I'd wanted to, but it was never really who I was. But if I had wanted to, I could have, at a certain point in my life, said, I'm white, I'm tall, I'm relatively good looking, I'm smart, I could milk this fucking system. I could milk this system because that's how the system was set up at that time. All I had to do was buy some suits, right? Or, you know, get into corporate, maybe do sales because I could sell shit and I would do really well. And I could join the right groups, make the right connections. And I could have taken advantage of a particular time where people that looked like me were being rewarded and promoted. Well, that time is over. And that never really interested, interested me anyway. It never, it, but, but it's kind of like an older version of being in Wakanda now, right? That's what it, that's what it's like. Because there was something about that world that I felt was incredibly hollow. And the values that that world aspired to, they weren't just about family values. It was ultimately manifesting in this conspicuous consumption, which I had no, I had no interest in. But then I had to look at the guys who became the apex of that. And they were rotten to the fucking core. You could throw John McCain into the mix. Go look at the SNL scandal. Look who look who who the players were. And so I would to me, I rejected that. I rejected those people. I rejected what they stood for. Because I knew that they were corrupt. I didn't know and in that void, in that vacuum. 
I didn't know what I stood for because when you do that, right, because you're supposed to look up to people, whether it's in your family or your work or your culture, it's like these people are the people that you aspire towards, whether it's their position or what they're able to do, right? Like if you're a guitar player, like we were talking about Dickie Betts, you look at Dickie Betts, go, man, that motherfucker can play guitar, right? But if you don't have that, then what do you do? Then who are you? Then how do you become relevant in a cultural story? I didn't, I didn't embrace any of that. And so I spent the 90s like doing something completely different. When in theory, I should have been raking in the time where theoretically my privilege was granted to me. So we're at a time now where the tough conversations have to come and they have to come in relationship with Jewish community, Jewish power, relationship with Israel. These are the tough conversations. And if you are a part of that world and you're here and you're listening to me and you haven't turned me off by now, God bless you. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. Because this is the thing that we have to address. And not just this particular group. Because, again, there are people inside of that group. They're good fucking people. I know a lot of these people. I love them. And, you know, and yet they have to understand what's taking place now. Because the wheels are turning. The wheels are turning. And you have to also understand that in World War II, you go back and you look at that quote by Theodore Herzl, which I have had set up here on my, on my laptop for a fair amount of time, just for easy access, because it is a quote that will live in infamy and I will play you the quote, right? Oh, and I'm going to play it for you, but I'll read it for you. If whole branches of Jews must be destroyed, it is worth it as long as a Jewish state in Palestine is created. This is the guy that negotiated Mandate Palestine. He's basically saying, if we have to slaughter millions of our people in order to do this, it's worth it. My, my fear is that at some point, people are going to turn and they are going to go after random Jewish people. And I think that's exactly what they want. Right. That is exactly what they want. Number one, it proves their point. And number two, if it becomes enough of a pogrom, then they, they again, the people who sit at the top of the structures of the apex of power can manipulate that and promote that. So this is why it's important to have these discussions, because there are people that we do not want to be unnecessarily hurt or slander, or whatever, right? But then there are other people who 
need to be taken to task. And so we have to have nuanced conversations about this. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to have Dr. Carlstrom on, even though I respect him. It's a hammer and a nail. And if we're going to talk about this, we can't use a hammer and a nail approach. We have to be broader. We have to be deeper. We have to be more contextual so that people understand what we're talking about. And it doesn't come out sounding like some fucking cliche, even though there are truth in some cliches. Let me tell you why it's important, because it's not just um, what we have and what's, you know, what's essentially what's taking place right now. Let me see if I can find this. But it's how this is unfolding. And let me show you this. I have this on Twitter. And I was actually having this discussion with uh, the good doctor this weekend. And I said, here's what's going to happen. Instead of backing off and saying, oh, well, we shook the trees a little too much. These institutions of what I would call social, intellectual, Jewish power and control are not going to back off. It's like, okay, I think we drew too much attention to ourselves. What's going to happen now is that they're going to lean into it, right? I said that this weekend. They're going to lean into it, and you're going to see certain factions and certain people inside of those groups begin to flex. Let me show you this tweet. This is from Jonathan Greenblatt, official. There's the check. He's the head of the ADL. This is from November 10th, seven days ago. It's time for the Jewish community to take a seat at the table, to use our power as institutional investors, to ensure corporations are aligned with our values and don't fall for anti-Semitic and anti-Israel pressures. That's why we're bringing in... uh, J Lens Network under ADL's umbrella, whatever that is. I don't know what that is. I should probably check it out. Do you see what's happening here? Like this is we're, right now, we are in the midst of a breaking culture war. We're, we're in the midst of this now. And this guy is being flushed out. And, and, and this is the strategy. It is not to retreat. It is to move forward and be aggressive. APAC. More than 95% of APAC-backed candidates won their election last night. Being pro-Israel is good policy and good politics. Oh. It's good policy and good politics because... You don't get elected unless you you uh, you pay homage to APAC. 
Cynthia McKinney knows all about that. So there's a reason why 95% of their back candidates won. Yeah. They got the K seal of approval. So this is what's happening now, right? It, it, we're seeing a much more open and aggressive push to defend position, power, and agenda. It's, it's not going to result in some kind of capitulation. So again, you can't put the truth paste back in the tube. And we're having more and more people begin to wake up. And again, I have to be utterly clear, this is not an indictment on an entire group. And there's some oh, he's a cop out. He's a cop out. No, it's true. Because I feel that way. I, I just I feel that way. At the same time, if you're part of that group, you need to be aware of what's going on. And there is some accountability and some culpability. What kind of world do you want to live in? And and I had this conversation with Danny. If I was Jewish, what would I do now? Would I be celebrating the fact that, you know, that, that uh, look at this, we have recruit all this power in all these different fields. And, you know, we have great family values and we don't get divorced. And, you know, from a very early age, I'm, 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 I'm being uh, inspired to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or, or a chemist or whatever. Right. I mean, why wouldn't you celebrate that? Why wouldn't you take pride in that? Those are those in a lot of ways are things to take pride in. Like I, I get it. Right. I get it. So it's really hard to have a nuanced and discursive kind of moment of genuflection and reflection about what's going on while at the same time, doing your best to kind of honor the world that raised you and brought you into the world with a semblance of, of order and uh, to some, to some degree, I don't know, privilege or uh, the ability to take advantage of the fruits of the land. Right. This is the nuanced discussion. And this is why I think it's important. Um. I have this image on the front page of the, of the show. It's the show image. And let me see if I can find it here. I'll put it up on my uh, share screen. Where are those fools? Here. So, okay, this is the recent G20 that uh, President Diaper was not able to attend. And they're, they're in Indonesia. So they got a lot of flack for wearing these shirts. 
because they're in this Indonesian style and some random YouTuber or blogger from uh, Iran were, you know, were made fun of these shirts. And then he was quickly shown how culturally insensitive he was. So there's, this is a really interesting take, like a really interesting photo in a lot of ways. First of all, when I look at the, the, the three clowns on the right, especially with Sunak and with um, Trudeau to uh, a lesser extent, and then Schwab to an even lesser extent, um, the vibe I get is satanic. Rishi Sunak has a really satanic vibe. Can you can you just look at him for a second? Kind of feel into that, right? This guy has got a satanic vibe. And even the shirt, which resembles like the flames of hell. Yeah. And he is center court in that picture. Klaus Schwab looks old and out of the, almost out of the frame. The other thing I was noticing about Klaus Schwab is it looks like he might have skin cancer. I was looking at his face and he's either had skin cancer or he, he in this photo, Klaus Schwab does not look very healthy. And I think you can clearly see that this is the golden boy of the future. He's a short, he's, he's a short dude and he is holding center court. It is not Klaus Schwab. It is Rishi Sunak. And I, I get satanic dungeon master vibes off this dude. And Trudeau is just so into it. Yeah, man. Both ruled by Venus, Trudeau, the Libra and Sunak, the Taurus. Klaus Schwab, the Aries, the Aries on the outside looking in. And the reason I put that up as part of the, uh, the theme and the content for today's show is that I was thinking about Donald Trump's speech from the other night. By the way, um, all the all the major media networks, unless they're on some project Mockingbird to just tune him out, they're, they're getting content for the next two years. So they should be clicking their heels, right? But one of the reasons why I brought that picture up is because I heard I heard a lot about what Trump wants to do and plans to do. And a, a lot of it is about um, remediating our condition, like fixing the things that aren't working, ending corruption. I mean, all, you know, all the shit that he was talking about in 2016, he's having another version of that discussion. What he's not talking about is those assholes, right? He's not talking about, Hey, 
how would you like to eat cricket burgers and cockroach milkshakes in the next six years? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the World Economic Forum and their push for an insect diet. And I can tell you, I may like I may like my meat well done, but I like my meat, right? Does he does Trump even address that at all? No. He doesn't address it. He doesn't address technology. And and you know, he, he'll go back to oil and oh, yeah, we need to we need to uh continue to you know pump for more gas and oil, become energy independent. But Trump never really addresses the fact that these guys want to have a centralized technology and they want to hook everyone into it. And so what I, you know, if I am listening to Trump, I want to hear shit like that. I want to hear, you know, I've been working, who the fuck cares if he uses Elon Musk? I've been having conversations with Elon and a lot of really smart people, and we have a solution to our energy issues and the environment that are outside of the scope of the World Economic Forum. And in this version, it is much more decentralized and will advance us further into the future through the social economy than we've ever been before. Like those are the things that I want to hear. The remediation part, any of us could have that discussion. And he's got to address the elephant in the room, which is the fucking world economic forum. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is for me. Even though nobody really wants it. Nobody wants the shit except for a bunch of, you know, brain addled lunatics that throw, um, you know, oil and tomato juice on paintings. All right. I wanted to play something interesting here. This is along the, uh, uh, the pitchforks and flame. So there was a guy that was uh, in Houston yesterday. And I think I have just enough time to play this. And it is, he is a pitchfork and torch guy. It's starting now. And he is calling out the Harris County commission here. And this is about a two part video. I think I have just enough time to play it. And it's a good one to go out on. Here we go. He's my commissioner. You're not going to sit there. I saw your demeanor change when I walked in the door. You know why you're not going to sit there? Because I know more than everybody in here about what you're doing in my district. Yes, sir. I know how you manufacture votes. I know how you leave the votes in the machines. I know how you do it. And the thing is, we're not crazy. No, no, no. no. We're, we're not crazy. We're not, if I go outside of this building and I run a stop sign, I'm going to get stopped. They're going to ask me for what they need to ask me for. If I have warrants, I go to jail. 
right? Your election administrator can violate the law and nothing is done. You can't ask the DA to do anything about these people because the voter harvesters worked on her campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, they want to talk. Yeah. See, when I come in the building, I can change the atmosphere. I'm the weatherman. <laughs> because I know what's going on. And they don't have the guts to stop me. They won't threaten me. I wish you would. Do you know what my pronouns are? I wish a would. Those are my pronouns. And I stand for everybody in here, yes. everybody in the county. Yes, so sir. I'm going to read you something that came to me during early voting from a election judge. Democratic election judge on October 30th at 1212 p.m. They came by about 3 p.m. to pick up the ballots. My bag can hold 3,000. So my monitor down there with the numbers, they sent me an email to call and request for ballot bag replacement. I did not call them. Why was those ballots moving? Why did they move those machines in the middle of the day? You know why they moved those machines in the middle of the day? because they manipulated those folks. All right, there's another piece. There's a part two here. Give me a sec. So here's part two. Why did they move those machines in the middle of the day? You know why they moved those machines in the middle of the day? Because they manipulated those folks. So I'm going to say it in here, and I got I got a little time because we all in the same family. Yes, sir. And I ain't going to hide nothing from what I feel is the worst criminal that I've ever laid eyes on in two years, Mr. Ellis, and I know you back there watching me. It's me versus you. And I'm gonna drag you like a Persian willow yeah. 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 I can call. I know y'all, y'all, they made y'all do something a few weeks ago where you removed the man and all that. I can call him a clown. I can call him whatever I want to call him. According to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, where I won 300000 against HIV to try to restrict my speech. Yeah. So I'm gonna tell you what we ain't gonna do. As long as I don't curse him out, and as long as I don't threaten him, I can say what I want. Am I correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. We sick and tired of that nigga there. <laughs> we sick and tired of him. And guess what? It's going to be us to take that Negro out that seat. Tell him I said that. All right. Do the best. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about, right? That's that's a difficult discussion. And that guy didn't come to that place overnight. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That guy did not come to that place overnight. He evolved to that place. Because there's always like a before and an after with a person. Doesn't matter whether it was a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago. He, he just didn't wake up and say, oh, you know. Fuck this version of the system. 
right? Anyway, it's inspiring. Thanks for being here. Lindsay Sharman tomorrow. Use your head in order to serve what's real. Your heart's as up when it's possible. I'm Robert Phoenix. Hope you enjoyed the show. Take good care. Bye for now.